Chefs Without Restaurants, episode 56, with Brandon Baltzley. A couple years ago, I, I wanted to get healthy. Uh, I wanted to lose a lot of weight. Uh, I was obese. I was uh, kind of in the grips of like alcoholism. And uh, through that process of getting sober and uh, losing the weight, I had kind of like an internal realization that the restaurant business, the type specific type of restaurant business that I was in, the fine dining aspect, was not the best thing for my mental health. And it would probably do me a good service to find a new occupation. This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your host, Chris Spear. Each week, I'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org, and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. On this episode, I have Brandon Baltzley. Brandon is the owner of Brandon Baltzley Fitness and Nutrition and is also a personal trainer and wellness coach at Planet Fitness and the co-owner of the Buffalo Jump Restaurant on Cape Cod with his wife. Brandon is also a chef with more than 20 years in the restaurant business, which he left for good at the beginning of the year. Battling substance abuse and obesity, Brandon decided that for the sake of both his mental and physical health, he would need to leave the restaurant business to lead a healthy lifestyle. Now that he's seen some personal success with fitness and nutrition, he wants to help others with their goals, especially those in the hospitality business. Besides health and wellness, we also discuss turning his pop-up, The Buffalo Jump, into a brick-and-mortar restaurant, the state of the restaurant industry, and what a post-COVID industry might look like. And on a personal note, Brandon's someone I've known for close to a decade now. He's one of the first people I followed on Twitter and someone who is always supportive of me, especially when I was first starting Perfect Little Bites as a side gig. I appreciate that so much, and I was really excited to have him on the show. So I hope you enjoy it. Please let me know what you think. All right, welcome everyone. This is Chris with the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. Today, my guest is Brandon Baltzley. His company is Brandon Baltzley Fitness and Nutrition. He's a personal trainer and wellness coach, working with about a dozen clients at any given time, privately, some in person, some long distance online, and he's also a trainer at Planet Fitness. Welcome to the show, Brandon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I guess we can kind of just jump in here. You know, you're doing your fitness work right now. Uh, you're also the co-owner of the Buffalo Jump restaurant on Cape Cod and a former chef. In fact, I think most of our listeners probably think of you as a chef and know you from the culinary world and not the fitness world. So how did you get there? I mean, I remember a tweet earlier this year saying you were done and retiring from cooking after 20 years working in kitchens. So how did you end up making that switch? Yeah, it was, it was kind of a, it was a progression of things. You know, it's, I, I, a couple years ago, I, I wanted to get healthy. Uh, I wanted to lose a lot of weight. Uh, I was obese. I was uh, kind of in the grips of like alcoholism and uh, through that process of getting sober and uh, losing the weight, I had kind of like an internal realization that the restaurant business, the type, specific type of restaurant business that I was in, the fine dining aspect, was not the best thing for my mental health. And 
it would probably do me a good service to find a new occupation, even, you know, working in the industry for so long. I think I, I developed a passion for fitness while I got into it. I saw a opportunity to kind of blend my food knowledge with uh, exercise. And uh, I found the niche uh, working with mostly hospitality people uh, that also want to get into wellness and kind of do better for their bodies and minds. Had you ever done any of this before? Like, were you a guy who ever worked out in your teens or 20s or eaten healthy or was this completely new to you? It was completely new. I mean, the closest, I, I just was talking to somebody about this the other day is I, if I had to think I, I did cardio when I was a kid, you know, either skateboarding or playing drums, that's the closest thing to exercise that I ever came to. I've ate like complete utter garbage my entire life. Even when I became a chef in, and got into the higher echelons of cooking, like, you know, you're, you're, you're eating, you know, quote unquote, good food, but it's not really good for you. You know, we, we, you were in the business of making everything hyper palatable and that's through processing and that's not necessarily the best thing for your body. So, uh, I think when I started to eat differently, uh, to, uh, enhance my workouts, I realized that the work that I was doing on my tasting menus wasn't really doing any good for anyone. I personally felt like I was contributing to other people's deterioration of health. And I didn't want to be a part of that anymore. Now I could have like, you know, flipped the script and just like, Oh, I'm going to make healthy whole foods, things like that. But there was that aspect of it. And then there was just the, the me struggling with anxiety, the pressure, the, uh, that also made it easier to make the transition out of the industry. But that couldn't have been an easy one. I mean, you have like 20 years experience, right? I mean, you started yeah. as a young guy in, in kitchens. Yeah, I started young. Uh, I started really young, but like, you know, as a paid cook, I, when I was like 15, full-time, dropped out of high school, worked and did that all the way up until, you know, now 35 if I, I molded over, you know, I mean, I, you know, another aspect of this is COVID happened, right? So I was supposed to be doing my final season this year. I was still going to cook this year. When COVID happened, we saw another opportunity to reconcept the restaurant, to make it more casual, to suit the needs of our community instead of the needs of the summer tourists which is what we were geared towards before. And it was also an easy way for me to go ahead and take, you know, my exit, make my exit. Uh, there was a little bit of ego involved when like, I wanted to have a last season. I wanted to like kind of go out with a bang. That was definitely a part of it that was in my head, but it was surprisingly easy to put down after I did it. You know, once I was like, you know, it's, I'm done, it's over. It was, it was almost a relief. And your wife, who's the co-owner, is she the head chef? Does she do the brunt of production there? What's the kitchen team look like? Yeah, so she has always been, you know, the co-owner, co-chef of the restaurant with me. Uh, you know, the first three years that we were a pop-up, she did dinners with me. 
um, the first year that we were a brick and mortar restaurant, she uh, did the dinners, but kind of started veering towards more of the daytime operations, the, the lunch and breakfast. Uh, and then when we switched over this year to casual, she's just, she's running the whole show. You know, she, it's, it's her, her mother who uh, runs a bakery out of the same uh, venue uh, and, and uh, two, you know, prep cooks slash dishwashers. That, that's all it is now. Um, we had to cut down staff severely due to COVID. We let some good help go. We kind of, you know, made our peace with them. We were bummed that we couldn't have them back this year because we've had higher time that we've been an entity, these uh, cooks. So that was kind of hard, uh, both on a professional and personal basis. But uh, at the end of the day, it was, I mean, the survival, you know, it was either close a restaurant or completely rebrand. How's the reception been? I mean, is business good doing what you're doing right now with that? Business is, yeah, no, I mean, I, I was going to say, you know, it's been slow, but, you know, honestly, with the, the new, you know, with, with profits and loss, like, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'll, I'll come out and say like, you know, the first year that we were a brick and mortar, we lost $10,000 at the end of the year. Uh, the second year we were a brick and mortar, we lost $4,000. Uh, this year we'll probably make a profit. So yeah, I mean, that profit might be 200 bucks, but <laughs> we won't, we won't lose money. I don't think this year. That's an interesting conversation about the whole restaurant industry in general. I mean, I think we're seeing this whole thing being thrown on its ass. And when we come out of COVID, whenever that is, who knows what the restaurant scene is going to look like at all. I don't think it's going to look anything like it did in February, you know? Yeah, I've been in conversations with a few people. I'm talking to a couple people that are still kind of have their hands in the industry. And uh, my they ask, like, you know, what I think. My and like my prediction is, I mean, there's always going to be a place for fine dining, right? There's always going to be that elite crowd that wants to spend a lot of money, be pampered, that that whole thing. There's going to be the the highly creative chefs that want to do, you know, art through food. But I think that aspect of of food, which has been so popular for so many years, is about to shrink by like ninety percent. Mm-hmm. And you're going to start seeing, and you're already starting to see it through food media. You're starting to see them focus on, on, on people that have been overlooked for a long time, chefs of color, casual dining, street food, uh, all kinds of different operations. You know, you don't have to sell a $400 menu to get noticed anymore. And that's a good thing. I think the whole landscape's going to change completely. And, and, and it needed to. It did. And there's a lot of chefs without restaurants out there. I mean, that's what my whole community is, is people kind of forging their own path, but also they're people who have never had any attention. I mean, there's every once in a while, like a food truck that's really well known, right? But other than that, most of these people are just having to push every day. They're mom and pop businesses. They're very small and, you know, just trying to get out there and survive. But I think they've been very innovative in how they've been dealing with COVID because they've been able to pivot a little faster, you know, not having this big brick and mortar business. I've seen a lot of successful people um, being able to change their business model on the drop of a dime, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I mean, we, we have a relative that's in the food industry here on Cape Cod who does casual food and, you know, they're, they're highly profitable. Everyone that I know that's in the casual business it just it seems like they just they just do better as far as financial financial successes. 
uh, maybe not in terms of like critical acclaim, but you know, they're putting their kids through college. <laughs> so I think the ego to a certain extent is going to be taken out of the food industry, you know, whether it kind of wants to or not, but I, I, I think it's going to, um, it's just going to change. And was it tough where you are? So you're on the Cape. Was it tough customers, what people were accustomed to? I mean, I'm from Massachusetts. Most of my living relatives are on Cape Cod. I don't think of many really interesting or fine dining. So I know when you first opened up, um, your menu was pretty innovative. What was the reception? And, you know, did people eventually come to understand what you're going for? Yeah. So, I mean, I, uh, you know, the, when, <laughs> when the Globe first started talking to us about like, their concept for like doing food on the Cape back before the Buffalo jump, when it was at, when we were doing the 4170, um, you know, I said some things similar to what you said in not so nice a ways about the food here on Cape Cod and got a lot of flack for it. But, you know, I mean, you, 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 you can't be naive to it. Like there it's, it's, there's, there's a certain type of restaurant that does well on the Cape that is uh, not the business of, uh, you know, making people think about what they're eating. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and we did have a good um, reception when we started the pop-up. We were uh, pretty busy in the pop-up. When we turned into brick and mortar and we instituted breakfast and lunch, we had that casual aspect. So we still had a draw locally. Um, the dinners got, you know, weirder and weirder and weirder as we went. And that began to weed through our customers for dinner. You know, by the end of year two, I mean, we, we never did more than 36 covers a night. It was me and one other cook. Um, but by, by the end of it, you know, we were averaging like 25 covers a night. So, um, for what we were going for, we had the, the the clientele for it. If we ever tried to do it on a larger scale, no, it would, it would completely bomb here. Yeah, I mean, it just it would never work. It would never work. And how about your new business? What's the reception been there? Um, how's it been finding clients? I mean, uh, are there a lot of people in your area who are looking for personal trainers, meal prep, that kind of thing? And what's that been like? Yeah, so it's it's a lot of moving parts. Um, All together, they make a uh, sustainable business, um, but it takes all the parts. You know, I have to have my day job at the gym. Uh, you know, that's just kind of the wise thing to do. Uh, it puts you in front of you know hot leads all day for uh, clients. Uh, outside of that, I have a very niche uh, corner of mostly back of house chefs, cooks, uh, kitchen employees that, uh, want to get in the shape. Uh, that's another part. And that's done a lot online coaching. Now I have a couple of private clients that I see in person. Uh, you know, it ranges from the, uh, you know, the chef of a very popular restaurant in Boston that drives all the way to the Cape twice a week to work with me to, you know, I've got 73 year old clients, uh, that just want to, you know, keep trucking, uh, the meal prep. Um, you know, I, I'm only doing maybe like 20 meals a month, uh, for people. Cause nobody, uh, the thing is, is like when you, when you start to do meal prep, you have to commit to like 
you know, eating the same thing every day for long periods of time. And it's not for everyone. You know what I mean? Um, I think that the meal prep aspect of the uh, business will be better once COVID restrictions relax and I can put those things on display like at the restaurant type, uh, like in our like uh, grab and go area. But uh, for now it's all privatized. I looked at that a little bit. I couldn't find a model where that really worked for me. And it wasn't really what I was interested in doing, but I have a lot of friends who are making a good go at it. But it seems like you have to do, if you're going to do that exclusively, you have to trade on volume. You know, I know a lot of people who that's their only thing. It's like, how many $15 dinners do you need to make to make a profit? You know, and it just seems really hard. I I can't imagine doing it as a full-time business. Yeah. And then, you know, especially when, you you know, I mean, I'll say like the people that live here, it's Cape Cod, you know, Cape Cod, if people are are listening that don't know Cape Cod, people around here kind of have like finer taste and things. So they want like good ingredients. And like, we know as chefs, we like try to provide that for them. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, they, they, they get a meal and they, they see like, you know, like you said, $15 or whatever. And Oh, we need three of those a day for two weeks. All of a sudden that builds like $400 sticker shock. And, 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 and you know, it, it's, it's a constant haggle back and forth. So I, uh, I think that uh, eventually uh, what I would like to have happen with my fitness business is to turn it into an all-inclusive, like one type of thing, a coaching that I am meal prepping for my coaching clients while I'm doing their nutrition for them, uh, like have it be like all in one type of thing and not, you know, this person over here does meal prep, this person over here does coaching this person orders uh, programming from me in Chicago that that's, that's easy to handle right now and juggle right now because it's small, but if it gets much larger, you know, by even, I would say like five to 10 more clients, I'm going to have to quit my day job. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And I know with health and nutrition, having like goals is essential in general. Are you someone who's good with setting goals? Like do you have five, 10 year plans has is that how you are are you more kind of fly by the seat of your pants me for myself i have a long-term plan uh i i'm i'm i i'm trying to like be a bodybuilding competitor in the next five years so that is what i'm focused on for myself so a lot of my clients uh do weight training i'm, I'm not in i'm not in the uh, business of like circuit training, spinning, things like that. All of my clients do weight training. You look pretty ripped right now. Um, when when <laughs> did you start you. this journey? Like when did you decide to get healthy? So I started about seven months before I got sober. I got sober October 3rd of 2018. I think that's right. I'm, I'm, I'm coming up on two years. So whenever that was, um, yeah, 2018. So I started it and like I said, I was, uh, 235 pounds, uh, and I dropped down to like 140 and I did it the wrong way. You know, I did it through all through like cardio and through, you know, calorie restriction. And I ended up just 
looking like I did when I was 15, just all skin and bone. And I was like, well, that's not what I wanted. So now, so I would say over the past year and a half, I've focused more on like gaining. Was there one defining thing that made you say like, this is the time that I'm going to get sober, get healthy, clean up my life? I mean, you, you wrote a book. We haven't mentioned that at all. Um, and you chronicled, you know, some rough years that you've had. So I know you've had struggles over the years with substance abuse and a lot of things. But was there any like moment where you're just like, this is it. I'm going to clean it up and pull it together. Yeah, uh, there was. I mean, it's, I, you know, <laughs> my daughter was uh, two when I got sober. Um, so I think, you know, I would, I would, I, I say it's my daughter. That's my daughter. But I mean, it's not technically my daughter because my daughter was alive for two years before I got sober. But I, I think that I started getting serious about trying to get sober when she came along. Um, and it took me two years to get to, of, you know, trial and error. I mean, I tried before that time too, many times to get sober and clean. I'd put together nine months here and nine months there. But uh, I think that at a certain point, I just, when my weight was at its highest, I felt ill all the time. I didn't like the way I looked. I wasn't happy with my relationships. The doctors were telling me, you know, I started off with uh, a fatty liver, which turned into alcohol-induced hepatitis. Uh, The next step is cirrhosis. So I had to make a decision. I I had to figure something out. Uh, I, you know, I I went to rehab uh, in September. It was right at the end of a buffalo jump season. Uh, and I think while I was in rehab, having my daughter drive from Cape to Worcester to see me in a rehab was kind of like the moment where I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do this again <laughs> because she's not going to remember this. And I don't want her to remember that. I don't ever want her, you know, growing up knowing uh, me when I was drinking. I mean, that's fantastic. I'm so happy for you and proud of you. I mean, having kids changes your life. The same with me. I mean, I didn't have anything like that, but just wanting to be a better person, be healthier. I mean, I'm trying to get fit right now. It's really hard because I'm the reverse. I never really worked in restaurants before, but though now because I'm a personal chef, I'm basically on a restaurant schedule. So now I'm in the mode of working late at night, eating at like 10 o'clock. And now I'm trying to figure out at 44 how to eat properly. I spent a good deal of my life working in contract food service where I go and work at a retirement community and I get home at 7.30 and I can have dinner or eat at work. And now it's the opposite. I feel like I just started this new restaurant career at like the age of 40 where now I'm trying to figure out how to eat better and work that into my schedule. So I've had some fluctuation with, with diet and weight and need to get it together. But I put together a plan and I'm already losing weight. So that's great. Yeah. I mean, it takes, it takes a lot of trial and error, you know, like I, I tried like keto. I tried like, I did like all the things, right. All the things that you could do and you just had to figure out what works for you. And it's different for everyone. And the, 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 the important part of it is find what works for you and something that you can stick with. And it's all about the consistency. The consist- consistency is key because your body you know, to lose weight and to, to re to recomp the recomposition, your body, 
it has to be either in like a, you know, a, a slight caloric deficit for a certain amount of time. You can't just zigzag it, you know, eat not enough food one day and then, you know, just enough food the other day and then too much food the next day. Cause then your body doesn't know what's going on and it's constantly going, doing this up and down. But once you find what works for you and you can just stick to it for just like a month and you start to see those results, that's when I usually see my clients like have the breakthrough and be like, Oh, now there's some results. Now there's some motivation. Now, you know, it's the same thing with drinking. Oh, I haven't drank in one month. Like why do I don't want to like ruin that. So I, I'll make it another day. I won't drink tonight type of thing. Same thing with food and diet. And it's so hard for restaurant workers because you're around the food all the time. You got it. You have to taste food as part of your job. And, uh, and, and that's, that's the biggest challenge that uh, I, I face with my clients. Yeah. I don't think people who don't work in food service understand how easy it is to put on those calories. Like a cook makes a chocolate mousse and you come over and try it. And like that one spoon is like a hundred calories. And then you're like, uh, it needs something, put some cinnamon in it. And they do. And they come back and give you another, you've had like 400 calories in tasting mousse and you're not satiated. You don't not eat dinner because you've had that. You just added 400 calories of straight fat, like, and multiply that out 40 times a day. I mean, it's so easy to put the weight on. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's very, it's completely reasonable and mostly acceptable in a lot of restaurants for a chef to eat 6,000 calories a day. You know, the let's, let's stuff a, a quart sized deli full of rice or pasta and eat that as our family meal, have the insulin spike and f- almost fall asleep right before service starts, then taste food throughout all of service but then you won't eat, you know, the entire morning. So you're like missing nutrition throughout the first part of your day. You're backloading all your food. You're eating late at night when you get off. You're probably drinking if you're working in a kitchen at the end of the night. It's just, it's, it's not an environment conducive to healthy living, but that is changing. It is. I'm, I'm optimistic for it, but it's still not changing fast enough. But I really think at least we started the ball rolling. I feel like the end of 2019, we started having these conversations and now some more. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, like you said, like when the conversation started to happen, when I think, you know, when, when Kat Kinsman started her like campaign of like mental health and well-being and all that. And I think like the fair kitchens movement or whatever, you know, there was it, Unfortunately, these things like they, they, they are trends, right? They come in trends and they're covered really frequently and then they drop off and you don't hear about them again. And now with COVID, there's, you know, it's, it's going to be, this is how it is, this is with, with anything in the media. It's, it's hot for a little while and then it trails off. But I think, you know, I'm t- like some of my one client in particular, you know, we, we talk a lot about the work environment and just how, you know, you can't really hire cooks anymore that will tolerate the bullshit that we tolerated coming up through the ranks. And, and because it's been put out there that it's not acceptable. So now people aren't accepting it and they're demanding fairer wages or demanding not to be treated like shit. They're demanding. If you tell me that I'm coming to work a 10 hour shift, that's fine. Don't make me stay here for another four hours and be like, Oh, we, we, we got to get this other stuff done and make it happen. You know, four out of my five days a week. Uh, these things are starting to gain traction. And I, and I think the, uh, the younger generation, the newer cooks are just going to, you know, elaborate on that. And I, I think it's, I mean, it's going to be, I, I wouldn't even, if I ever tried to get back in the industry, 
say 10, 15 years from now, I wouldn't recognize it, I'm sure. And I've seen so many people starting their own businesses like mine because of kitchen life, but also barriers to being able to start your own. You know, a lot of people in my Chefs Without Restaurants community, there are a lot of people of color, people from different countries and backgrounds, and just, you know, they've maybe worked in the industry a little bit and saw that there was no way they were going to be able to be promoted. They weren't going to be promoted up through the ranks. They probably were going to have challenges getting loans to open that big expensive restaurant. And it's just easier to say, you know what? I'll do the personal chef thing or I'll, you know, have 40 grand and start a food truck because of so many of the things, both barriers within there to moving up and financial barriers. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of roadblocks put in place by restaurateurs and, and banks and things like that, especially if you don't have like, you know, the hot train of uh, media engagement. You know, I mean, it's 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 weird that for so long that's all it took to you know get. I mean, that's what happened to me, man. I mean, like, I it's, it's the only reason why I made the success that I made was because I became like a media spotlight for a hot second, and I'm grateful for it. But it's also fucking ridiculous <laughs> when you look back on it. I mean, and it, and it and you you can look back and you can poke the holes through it. You know, you, you can see where like, this is not how this should have went down. <laughs> I bet that was exhausting. When did you first start getting some media attention? Do you remember what year around? Yeah. So I was 25, 26 years old. So I had been cooking for 10 or 11 years at this point. I was already, I was an executive chef in New York city and I left my executive chef job to go be a line cook at Alinea because I wanted to take the next step and, and get into Michelin star restaurants. I think it was, uh, I think it might've actually been before Alinea got three Michelin stars or right when they got three Michelin stars. But, uh, so I did that and then I left Alinea and walked into a restaurant that I saw an ad for on Craigslist motto had no idea what the restaurant was, who the people, I was un- completely unfamiliar with the Chicago food scene. I walked to this restaurant. I got hired on the spot. It just so happened to be that Rob and Allie Levitt, the chefs of Motto, were were very popular chefs in Chicago. And they had just walked out of this restaurant and left the owner. Uh, they had a falling out. I don't know who was to blame. It doesn't fucking matter. But that me getting hired there put me on this pedestal and put me into the media spotlight without any vetting. They just started writing about me. And through that, and through the dissolvement of my relationship with Motto, and then going on through there to other restaurants in Chicago, they just kept following me. And no matter what I did, they just would kept writing. They, they, would, they were interested in where I was going and what I was doing. And I can tell you at the beginning, it wasn't for the food, because my food was not good at that time. It was not good. It, it, I, I don't think my food got good until, you know, I don't think I really found myself until maybe like five years ago. So, and, 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 and that happened through my work in Massachusetts. I, I think, I think I really kind of found myself at Rebelle and in, in Brookline, Boston, uh, and then went on through there, but anything pre Rebelle, you know, Looking back, I, I just, it's horseshit. Uh, and it, it was just right time 
right place. Um, and I was lucky. <laughs> well, I think that's how I found you. You know, I talk about, I do love early Twitter and I'm talking like 2010. And I think, you know, I probably started following you because you were one of those guys, you know, it was like you, Richie, line cook, you know, like who, who were the chefs on Twitter that had a lot of attention. But I have to say, I'm super grateful. I loved meeting you you were always supportive of what I was doing. Like when I was no one, like I'm cooking in a retirement community, but I'm posting up some like really interesting dishes and you always had nice things to say. You were always great about retweeting them. I got a lot of followers early on because of your engagement with me. So um, eternally grateful for that because I feel like that helped get me a little bit of a platform when nobody had ever heard of me. And then watching the stuff you did, I mean, you might think it's bullshit and it probably was. I was doing bullshit too, but like seeing those videos of you doing like, cool pop-ups or collaboratives or all these things. You know, you had your Crux Culinary Collective. I thought that was so cool, the idea of like a bunch of chefs coming together who were individuals and had their own thing going. But, you know, that's kind of what Chefs Without Restaurants started as for me. So just, you know, I want you to know all the cool things you did really influenced me in both Perfect Little Bites and Chefs Without Restaurants. So, you know, that's cool. I'm, I'm glad I got to meet you on Twitter. And I think we've only met once in person um, back at Star Chefs in like, Star Chefs, like yeah. 2011 or 12 or something like that. Yeah, that was a while ago. Yeah, I, I do think that crux in particular was was important i think i think that looking back on that like i'm proud of that uh i i'm proud of some of the food that came out of that uh i'm proud of like the greater meaning of it and and the influence that it had on other people for collaborations and for travel the concept of traveling pop-ups and kind of taking like I mean, it was, it was, you're into punk rock. I was a punk rock kid. I was like, like, let's take like punk rock band philosophy. Let's like get in the road. Let's just tour. Let's live out of a truck. Let's party. Let's make some food. Let's have, meet some people. Um, make make a little cash off of it uh, uh, to survive. And and uh, and and I think that that was definitely you know that's a, that's a, a time stamp that like will will be in my head forever. Especially at the, uh, the the last like couple of Crux tours, I think we were putting out some really cool food then. Yeah, um, man. Thinking about back to health and nutrition, you know, COVID is so scary. And when you see all these people who are dying, it seems like most of them are overweight, or many of them are overweight, have diabetes, underlying conditions. I can't believe that that wouldn't be enough to scare everyone into getting healthier. I mean, it's definitely at the front of my mind. Are you seeing people? Is that a, a reason people are coming to you, at least that they're verbalizing? Are they saying, Jesus, like, I don't want to die. I like, that's my wake up call to get, to get it together. Yeah. I think, unfortunately, if you're not healthy now, uh, there's nothing you can really do right off the jump, you know, to, to change your, your fate if you were to get it. Um, however, and this is dark. This is just went dark all of a sudden. <laughs> but however, if you, this can also be a wake up call to like for the future. Like it's not, it's not like, let's get healthy now to beat COVID. It's like, let's get healthy to beat the next thing. Like this is a wake up. If you get through this, then maybe you should be more prepared for the next thing. And I'm just like, I just, I lucked out. I got like wicked healthy. Like I'm in the best shape of my life and uh have been now for about a year uh so uh i made the mark but um i would say that 
at least the people that I work with, uh, I don't think COVID, COVID was a, uh, much of a reason. I think, um, if anything, COVID made an excuse of people to have more time to get into fitness. I'll say that much. But uh, the reasons that people come to me are kind of more deep-rooted uh, uh, mentally uh, trying to overcome certain things, uh, food addiction issues, uh, depression, anxiety uh, related to the industry, and and a lot of people career changing and things like that. So like I said, I, I work with a pretty niche crowd. The crowd that's not in the industry, they're mainly just people that just want to be healthy. So are you still looking to pick up new clients? I mean, do you have enough time to pick up more people? Yeah, I I um I mean I was actually thinking about this today on the way home. I was like trying to figure it out. I was like, how many more people can I take if I see them like twice a week? Like, I think with my day job, I currently have time. I can see like maybe like three or four more people on the weekend only. Uh, my weekdays are completely maxed out. I get up at 4 a.m. every day. I go work out. Uh, I, you know, I, 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 I do the meal prepping for myself too, cause I'm trying to stay fit as well. So I do all that. I work at the gym. I, sometimes I'm training people before I go into the gym. Uh, then I go to the gym, I'm training people at the gym. Those aren't my private clients. The, the, the people that I see in my day job, I am, those are not my clients. Those are like the gym's clients. Uh, everyone that I see personally, I see before, or after I go into my day job. So I'm jam tight until seven o'clock when I go to bed at night, which is hilarious. Cause I go to bed at seven now <laughs> every night religiously, like around, I get in bed at seven. And I usually fall asleep by eight. Wow. I don't know that I, I don't know that I can do that. That's yeah, tough. I, to, to, to lose, to, to do what I want to do with my body, I have to get eight hours of sleep a night or it just wouldn't happen. There's a certain point that you get to that you have to have things so completely dialed in to achieve like a certain level of like leanness or like muscle uh, hypertrophy that you have to, you know, your diet's got to be dialed in within like the, the 100 calorie marker. You got to get a certain amount of sleep. You got to take a certain amount of supplements. You, you got to spend a certain amount of time in the gym. You know, I mean, I work out for two hours a day, every day. Uh, I don't take rest days. I mean, I'll take a rest day once every couple of weeks if I'm really tired, but uh, it's, 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 a, it's a commitment. So is there any actionable advice you can share with our listeners? I know it's so personal, but are there any places to get started, resources, anything you could recommend to someone who you haven't met? Like just if they're sitting on their couch and need a kick in the ass to get going, what would you say? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there, 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 there's one way to, you know, you can look at people, right? You know, there's someone like, you know, Google David Goggins or Jocko Willick. Um, those are like very inspirational, like fitness people. They're like, they're uh, the Marine Corps, Navy SEAL type people, uh, motivational speakers. Um, you can, you can look towards people. You can look, you can uh, find the person. I, you know, I always said this when I was cooking too. It's like, you know, it's like you find the chef, find the guy who has what you want and then go get it, you know? And it's the same thing with like fitness goals. Find the person that has what you want. You want that body. You want that lifestyle. Well, do what he's doing. 
and, and things should follow suit. Then outside of people, uh, you know, the resources, I mean, I, you know, if, if you want to get started, you know, just get up in the morning and go on a run. And if you can't run without, you know, losing your breath, you know, an eighth of a mile, then, then walk for 30 seconds and start running again. Next day, you're going to make it, you know, another eighth of a mile longer. And the next day, before you know it, I, anyone, no matter how obese they are, you know, within two to three weeks of running, we'll be able to run a mile, you know what I mean? And, and make it through. And, and, and you might feel like you're going to die at first of a heart attack, but you're not, you just got to kind of, it's, it's a mental thing, man. It's all the mental blocks that you got to get through. It, it's, it's all in the person and how much they want it and how much work they're willing to put in. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a self-discipline that you either have or you don't. And if you don't have it, you got to figure out how to get it. And then as far as diet and nutrition goes, you know, I, I tell all my clients, it's like, if you don't want to count calories, if you don't want to track macros, if you don't want to, if that's all like too much, two things, all you got to do is just think of it this way. Is it one ingredient? Is what you're about to put in your mouth one ingredient? No, it's got three ingredients. Don't eat it. If it's one ingredient, eat it. Rice, great. Potatoes, great. Carbs aren't bad, right? Fat's not bad. It's moderation. It's good carbs, good fats that you want. Have an apple. Eat a steak. Have uh, you know a fatty piece of pork belly if you want. It's one ingredient. It's good for you. Your body's going to process it, turn it into what it needs to be. It's all the processed stuff, the multi-ingredient foods that turn into stored fat and are harder to digest and don't really do much for your body. That's great advice. And I just started counting calories uh, this past week and I've never done that, but it's not hard. I mean, I have a digital scale and just, I think once you get into it, it's a lot easier, but right now it's like, oh, that's half a cup of brown rice. Oh, that's how many calories are in half a cup of brown rice. And then you just get used to kind of having an idea, but it, it was so weird. Like the first time I broke out my scale and started weighing food and, and really counting. Yeah. At first it's kind of a pain in the ass. I mean, you, you've got to, uh, you know, it's I think it takes longer, right? It's like it, it makes your day longer. And this is that this is like what I said earlier. It's all about self-discipline and how much work you're willing to put in. Just take the extra time, do it. Before you know it, you won't even need a scale. You'll know. You can eyeball it. You know, things don't have to be that exact. And that's if you do want a calorie count. But you know, at the end of the day, like eat whole ingredients. Uh, don't overeat when you're listening to your body. If you're hungry, eat food. If you're not hungry, don't mindlessly eat. Most people pack on the extra calories, the extra weight from mindless eating. And especially during COVID. I mean, come on, like that was, that was hard for me too, you know, and I'm very disciplined now. And I was having a really hard, the last two weeks of COVID got me. I, I was eating ice cream. I was eating pizza. I was like, screw it. I've been good this whole time. I'm going to go to town for two weeks. And you know what? I felt like utter shit. <laughs> from it you you eat good for a certain amount of time and then you trail off you find out how you find out real quick the the difference your body feels i found the same with drinking i mean i haven't given up drinking completely but i don't drink often at all like maybe once a week once every other and at that you have it and you know you feel like crap right it's like i have one beer and i'm like i feel gross and not that i f even feel drunk but it's just like the next day i have a headache from drinking one beer it's like 
I don't like <laughs> this. Like, I feel like crap. Why am I doing this? Yeah, that's no good. That's no good. And, you know, if, uh, you know, I, I've got a, heart, a fitness monitor that I use. And any day that I go off my diet uh, of eating clean, of eating clean foods, uh, if it's even if it's just one meal, one cheat meal, my resting heart rate will go up almost 10 beats a minute overnight. My heart rate variability will sink all the way down. My respiratory rate increases by like twofold. And you can just see it. If you have a monitor, you can see what these things are doing to your body. And you, you don't really notice it until you abstain, right? You have to abstain to really notice it, things. So is there anything else you want to get into? I, mean, I feel like we kind of covered it all. I think uh, uh, this is a super cool thing that you're doing, and I'm glad it's taken off. Thanks, everyone. This has been the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. Thanks, Brandon, for coming on. And as always, you can find us at chefswithoutrestaurants.com.org and on all social media platforms. Thanks, and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show or sponsoring a show, please let us know. We can be reached at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thanks so much.